0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on October 9th, 2016, on the basis of 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. What makes a church what it is? What defines it? What gives it its identity, its one-of-a-kind fingerprint, so to speak? A big part of the answer to that question has to be what that church believes, what that church teaches. And so it's not uncommon at all that that if someone is learning about a new church, they might ask, well, what does your church believe about this? Or where does your church stand on that? Do you know how I answer those questions? You see, I've come to realize over the years that in situations like that, the real question that needs to be answered is not their question. The real question isn't what our church believes about this, that, or the other thing. The real question is, how are we going to arrive at our answer? What determines what we believe and what we teach? What process do we use to arrive at those doctrines? What means do we make use of? And one of the things that very much is a part of our identity here at Good News, a big part of our identity, is that no matter what the question might be, no matter what topic might come up, we will always... And we will only go to the Bible for the answer. And the verses that are in front of us today tell us exactly why. In these verses, Paul tells us how this book that we call the Bible came about. He tells us that God breathed into human writers the very words, in fact, every last word that he wanted them to write down. Paul tells us that the words that God breathed into those human authors give us everything that we need to know about God, everything that we need to know about getting to heaven, everything that we need to know about our lives as Christians here on this earth. These verses tell us why we believe what we believe because it's what the Bible says. So for example, Why do we believe that salvation is a free gift from God, dependent 100% on Jesus' performance and 0% on our good works? Why do we believe that? Well, because the Bible says so. Why do we believe that the sacrament of holy baptism is not simply an outward symbol or ceremony? Why do we believe that it's actually a powerful tool in the hands of God through which he delivers the gifts of forgiveness and faith to everyone who is baptized, even newborn infants? Why do we believe that? Well, because the Bible says so. Why do we believe that in the sacrament of Holy Communion, the bread and the wine are not mere symbols of Jesus' body and blood and that the purpose of the sacrament isn't simply to get us to mentally think about what Jesus did for us, though it certainly does that. Why do we believe that the bread and the wine actually deliver to us Jesus' very body and Jesus' very blood and along with those things deliver to us the blessings of what Jesus did on the cross, namely the forgiveness of sins? Why do we believe that? Well, it's because the Bible says so. Why do we believe that God Spoke everything in our universe into existence over the course of six 24-hour days and not that everything evolved over the course of billions of years. It's because the Bible says so. Why do we believe that God has a very specific plan for how men and women come together in marriage to form families and how men and women work together as members of a Christian church? It's because the Bible says so starting to get it? But you know, there's actually one question that we can't answer that way. One question that we can't answer because the Bible says so. One thing that we can't believe simply because the Bible says so. Do you know what it is? It's the idea that the words of the Bible are worth trusting in the first place. Picture this line of questioning between two people. Someone asks, "So, so why does your church believe this or that? And your response is, well, because the Bible says so. Well, why do you assume that what the Bible says is is worth believing? Well, because the Bible is God's Word. And where did you get the idea that the Bible is God's Word? Well, it's because the Bible says so. And why do you believe that what the Bible says is true and trustworthy and reliable? Well, because the Bible is God's word. There's a vicious cycle of circular reasoning that quickly develops. And if that's all we have, it's the, if that's the only answer that we can give, then ultimately we don't have a really good reason for why we believe everything we believe because the Bible says so. And ultimately, we make ourselves very susceptible to this individual who stays up late one night and watches a special on the History Channel and comes to you with a few cheap shots and sound bites about the Bible that he heard on that special on the History Channel Cheap shots and sound bites about conspiracy theories and copying errors. And very, very easily, someone can quickly shake our confidence in the Bible and in everything that it says. And so another answer is needed. Not, we believe everything that we believe because the Bible says so, because the Bible says so, but we believe everything that we believe because the Bible says so, because... Because what? That's the question we're going to answer today. And yet before we do, I want to point out how important it is for us to have an answer to that question. You see, it's kind of an in thing these days to go around believing or even peddling the idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth truth, that nothing in life can be said to be absolutely certain or correct, that no one can claim that they are absolutely right, and no one has the right to say that anyone else is wrong. People think that, that thinking that way kind of makes them enlightened and sophisticated, and people think that that's actually a good way to live. The problem is it's impossible. No one can and no one actually does live that way. Here's why. On the campus of Ohio State University there is this building, an arts center that has a very unique and interesting design. Everything inside the building is complete chaos. There are beams heading in every imaginable direction. There are pillars that start up at the ceiling but don't actually reach all the way down to the floor. There are stairways that you can take that lead you absolutely nowhere. Everything is chaos. And the design of the building is meant to underscore this idea that there is no such thing as absolute truth, that nothing in life can be said to to be absolutely certain. But then the story is told of a man who walked through that building as part of a campus visit, who contemplated the building's design and the message that it was trying to convey. And the man very wisely asked his tour guide, So tell me, did they build the foundation the same way? You see, whether people want to admit it or not, all of us stand on something. All of us live as though there are certain things that are absolutely true, certain things on which every other decision, every other belief, every other value and priority is based. And so the question really is, can we have that foundation when it comes to God? Can we believe everything that we believe simply because the Bible says so and if so, why? Oh, yes, we can. And here's why. It's not simply because the Bible says so so that those wheels of circular logic just start going round and round and round. It's actually because long before there was ever a Bible, at least long before there was a New Testament, there was a Jesus. There was a man who walked this earth named Jesus who went around saying fantastic things about himself, claiming to be the Son of God. There was a man named Jesus who went around claiming to be the one and only source of the world's forgiveness and salvation. And this same Jesus, as he walked the earth, let everybody know exactly what he was going to do so that they would know that what he said about himself was true. He said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die on a cross, And on the third day, he was that specific, on the third day, I am going to rise from the dead. And you're thinking, now hold on, Pastor Bauer, everything that you just said about Jesus is written in the Bible. It is. It's also written elsewhere, in other historical records. Even the people who are the most skeptical of what the Bible says will admit that there was a guy named Jesus who made incredible claims about himself and who eventually died a Roman death on a cross. And so then Jesus died. And for 25 to 40 years, for a quarter to almost a half of a century, there was no Bible. It was 25 to 40 years later before the very first book of the New Testament, the very first book that told the story of Jesus' life was written. Do you know what that means? That for 25 to 40 years, everything that people believed about Jesus was not because the Bible told them so. It it was because their eyes and their ears had told them so. And do you know what people believed about Jesus for those 25 to 40 years, for the time right immediately following his death? They believed that he was God in human flesh, that he had died as payment for the sins of the world, and that three days later he had come back from the grave. Thousands and thousands of people believed that long before there was ever a Bible. In fact, even the most skeptical people of what the Bible says will acknowledge that even though they don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they will admit it's undeniable that there were thousands and thousands of people who believed that he did. In fact, those skeptical people have a hard time explaining why so many people would have believed that if, in fact, it had not happened. And if that's true, if Jesus really did come and walk this earth as God in human flesh, if he really did suffer and die for the sins of the world, if he really did rise from the dead in order to give us the gift of eternal life, do you know what else must be true? What Paul says about this book is not some far-fetched theory. It's not some stretch for our imagination. It's not a great challenge our intellect. No, if, if God really came and walked the earth in human flesh, if he really did live and die for us, then what Paul says about this book is exactly what you would expect. Because if we have a God who loved us so much to come to this earth to save us from sin, you would expect that very same God to also be a God who speaks to us. A God who communicates with us, a God who desires to be known by us, and a God who is fully capable of pulling it off. If you and I have a God who speaks, then we would expect that God to give us a book where the message is entirely His, where every single word was breathed into the human r- writers so that they could write it down. Not just the big ideas, not just the main topics, not a a mixture of his ideas and theirs so that we would be stuck trying to hopelessly figure out which one is which. No, every last word. It's what you'd expect. If we have a God who speaks, then you'd expect that message that God gives us to be everything that we need to know. Not a good starting point not something that we need to supplement with additional information. You'd expect that at some point God would just stop communicating so that we would know we have everything that we need. We don't need more and more information. We don't need ongoing revelation. God has told us everything we need to know. That's what you'd expect. If we have a God who speaks, you would expect the message that he gives us to be crystal clear. Not confusing not subject to a dozen different interpretations, each one of which might be as valid as another, but you would expect that if you open this book, read its words, take it at face value, you would understand its meaning. That's what you'd expect. Finally, you would expect that if God gave us this book, he would ensure its survival. He would make sure that it got passed down throughout the years and throughout the ages so that all people of all times, including you and me, could sit here today and read it. If other historically significant books are considered to be valid and legitimate, if there are just six or eight or twelve copies of that original work available, you would expect that with a book as important as the Bible, there might be a few more. And there are There are 5,300. 5,300 have made it down through the years. We believe what we believe because the Bible says so, not just because the Bible says so, but because if we have a God who walked the earth in human flesh, who willingly marched to his own death on the cross, and then who kicked down the cover of his own grave in triumph over death, you'd expect him to be a God who also speaks. And if he really is a God who speaks, then you'd expect his message to us to bear a striking resemblance to this here book. Of course, there's one other thing you'd expect. if God really does speak. And if this really is his message you'd expect his people to be really eager to listen, right? I mean, if we get excited when our, our daughter goes off to college and then after a month of really not hearing anything, she calls home, we get excited about hearing her voice. If we get excited when our husband goes off on business and is gone for a week, but then he FaceTimes so that we can all talk and, and have a nice conversation, if we get excited about that, then then if the God of the universe speaks to us and tells us everything that we want to know, you'd expect his people to brave hearing it you'd expect that when that one day of the week rolls around that one day out of 7 and those 2 hours out of 168 you'd expect that not much not much could keep you from being there you'd expect that in your homes the sounds that you would hear, the sounds that your children would hear would not just be your iTunes playlist or the queue of of different TV series that you have on Netflix, but that also heard in your home would be the voice of the God who speaks. If God really is the God who speaks, then you'd expect that when we listen to what he says, we obey it, we follow it, we do what it says, even if it's really, really difficult. And you'd expect that if we have a God who speaks, we would build our entire lives. We would make our foundation his words. Not his words plus our ideas. Not his words plus human wisdom. Not his words plus pop psychology or Hollywood propaganda, but his words alone. If we do have a God who speaks, then each and every one of us, and believe me, this guy included, own a whole lot of shame and a whole lot of guilt for all of the times and all of the ways in which we haven't really wanted to listen. And that's what makes the most remarkable thing about all of this, not simply that we have a God who speaks, but what that God says. In fact, in the next two weeks, we're going to see what that is. We're going to hear that our standing before God and our eternity is not dependent on how well we listen to the good book or how well we live by the good book. Because what this good book really says is that we are saved by grace through faith. It says that because Jesus took on human flesh, lived, died, and rose for us, we have complete forgiveness. We have a perfect standing before God and we have a guaranteed spot in heaven waiting for us. What this good book says is that your sins will not separate you from God on the last day because Jesus already was separated from God on the cross. What this good book says is that your eternity doesn't depend on how well you have listened to God's word over the course of your life because when God looks at you, he doesn't see your performance. He sees Jesus' performance. What this book says is that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. So why should listening to that book be a part of our identity as a church? Why should have a bur- having a burning desire for hearing those words be part of our identity as people and as families? Well, it's not simply because we have a God who speaks. It's because he tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. It's because that, more than anything else, is what he is dying and has died to be able to say amen thank you for listening for more information about good news lutheran church visit www.goodnewslc.org